Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Welcome to the Curve Beam Podcast. I'm your host, Vinti Singh, the Director of Marketing at Curve Beam. Thanks for joining us this episode as we continue to explore how our solutions are changing medicine. Today's guest is Dr. Cesar de Cesar Neto, an orthopedic foot and ankle surgeon and researcher. Dr. Donetto is an assistant professor at the University of Iowa's Carver College of Medicine, Department of Orthopedics and Rehabilitation. Prior to taking this position, he completed four fellowships at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil, University of Alabama, Birmingham, Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, and MedStar Memorial Union Hospital in Baltimore, he is a founding member of the WBCT Society and has co-authored several research papers involving the use of weight-bearing CT imaging. Dr. Donetto also serves as a consultant for Curvebeam. Dr. Donetto, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. It's a great pleasure, great honor to be here. Thank you. So I'm going to start this conversation from the very beginning can you tell me why you chose to go into orthopedic surgery? Oh, that's that's a tricky one. <laughs> um, so um, I was during medical uh, school. I was totally into surgery, so I knew I was going to do something surgical. Um, but uh, until the last minute that I could change it, uh, my application online. I mean, literally the last minute. I remember it was midnight, and uh, we, you could change the, the you could change until midnight of a, I think it was a, a Sunday, and at eleven fifty nine, I changed from general surgery that I wanted to do um, either urology or uh, plastic surgery. I changed it for orthopedics in the last minute, and uh, and I think it, it was one of my best decisions. Uh, I think I was always um, related to sports activities. I was part of the athletics of my university. I was director of uh, one of the largest uh, university competitions in Brazil. Uh, uh, I'm really a huge soccer fan. I played soccer during medical school. Uh, And so it made sense for me to, since I liked the surgery and I liked the sports and I liked uh, the, the musculoskeletal things, injuries. So it made total sense for me to go into orthopedics. I, I can't see me doing anything else, to be honest. Were you ever injured yourself when you played soccer? Uh, I was a goalkeeper. Uh, oh, okay. So, yeah. So I, I injured a, during training sessions. I injured a lot of my, of my hips, like the, the, the trochanteric area, just because okay. of the bumping in, into the floor uh, for the dives, but never, never had a, a major injury that kept me off. Fortunately, I never okay. broke up. I never, I have never broken a bone. So oh, okay, well, that's probably <laughs> a good thing that you don't have firsthand experience. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so fast forward uh, several years uh, through all of your schooling and training and residencies and fellowships. 
Um, so you are a founding member of the Weightbearing CT Society, and the group had its very first meeting in Berlin in 2016. So almost three years later, can you look back and reflect what progress uh, the society has made towards its missions? Yeah, this is this is uh, this is pretty crazy thing to be honest. Um, I remember then I submitted my papers, uh, my abstracts. I think I had two abstracts to the European meeting, and I got both of the abstracts accepted. Um, and then I got an email from Dr. Martinus Richter, Richter that is uh, our president now, uh, inviting me to be part of a roundtable about Weber and CT. Uh, research studies that had been submitted to the European meeting. And I remember that was, I was uh, pretty excited, but at the same time, I was concerned. I said, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that there were, there were that much weight-bearing CT papers uh, submitted. So I thought it was super cool, but at the same time, I was, uh, uh, you know, excited and concerned at the same time um and uh, i thought that at that point i was working at, with uh, medstar and, and johns hopkins university and i thought it was pretty new technology i didn't know it was uh already settled in europe so it was pretty pretty interesting for me to get to understand that there was there were a lot of people uh a lot, there was a lot of people already using the technology and uh, we had a great meeting uh, in Berlin, and that was the uh, the landmark meeting for us because we got to know each other. Um, so at that point, uh, I think it was me, Arn, Bersens, Francois Lins, and Mar Martinus Richter. I don't think that uh, Alex Barg, that is, they are all members of our, uh, board members of our society right now. Uh, I don't think Alex Barg was there, but we started a friendship and, uh, and we started following each other and respecting the work that we were doing. Um, and that was uh, the, let's say, uh, the most important factor for us to become a group initially, the Weightbearing CT study group that recently was, uh, recently was, let's say, upgraded or recently became a society. Um, and the developments that we did in three years are, are, are really amazing. Like uh, now we have a, like a formal society. Uh, we have uh, added, uh, we recently added a new board member. There's Dr. Scott Alice from Hospital for Special Surgery. is one of our mentors and a great uh, model, role model for me. Uh, he's got a lot of experience with uh, uh, research and especially with weight bearing CT. He was one of the first ones in the U.S. to start using a, a different kind of uh, 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 physiological weight bearing images that is was not a real cone bean image, but he, he's got a lot of experience. Now he's using uh, our, our pet cat. And um, so legally we are now a society. We have, uh, from what I remember, we have at least 40, in between 40 to 50 members that are currently actively uh, contributing and collaborating with us uh 
we have published it together, I would say at least uh, 20 to 30 pa papers. Uh, and uh, if you look now at in PubMed, and I think we have influenced other people to dive deep into this technology and the possibilities that it, it gives to, 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 to you. Um, if you go to PubMed right now and look for Wayburn CT studies specifically for foot and ankle, I think we're getting close to 100 publications. That's, that's what I would estimate. So in three years, it got pretty, pretty big. I, I don't think that in, when we were in Berlin, I think maybe only 10 to 15 publications with weight bearing CT and foot and ankle, and now we're, we're probably past 100. That's a, a lot of progress. And do you think that the society has had influence on the conference agendas itself? I know if you attended a foot and ankle conference in, in 2014 or 2015, there were basically very few, if any, weight-bearing CT lectures in the main conference agenda. And now it seems that at every foot and ankle conference, there's an entire section dedicated to weight-bearing CT. Do you think the society had an influence on this? Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, we were the, let's say the early birds for, for a long time. So we, we initially, we wanted to meet, we wanted to present the, the research, we wanted to invite uh, clinicians and researchers that were uh, playing and, uh, um, and uh, getting to know the technology and present their data. But we believe it's probably the most important way of uh, demonstrating that a technology is really important. It is about the research. Uh, and if the research is influencing the, the life of the patients. Um, and then initially we were, so we wanted to, to be part of the meeting, but of course we were not part of the formal agenda. So we, um, until recently, we had to do our meetings at five in 5.30 in the morning. So we couldn't, so we, we, we wouldn't compete with the formal agenda. Uh, and uh, that's something that uh, like people that were there, they were really interested in Wayburn CT and foot and ankle because waking up at five or 4.30 to be in a meeting that starts at 5.30, it's it's a lot to ask for people that usually have pretty busy agendas during the conferences, and um, but that's but now um, we are becoming part of the formal agenda. So we recently uh, were part of the European agenda. Uh, we were part of the Latin America Food and Ankle Society agenda, La Flamesip. Uh, that we had an amazing uh, presence of uh, of attending attendees, um, more than a hundred people in the room uh, in Brazil, Porto de Galinhas last year. Um, we will be part of the Asian Society Food and Ankle Meeting in uh, Thailand, um, I believe next October, and uh, we just uh, got the news from AOFAS that in the very important meeting of fifth. 50th anniversary AOFAS meeting, we're going to have a whole section of uh, weight burn CT uh, that will be handled by members of the of the uh, of the board of the weight burn CT society, including myself. Um, so that's pretty exciting. We, we would never think three years ago that we would be part of the European and American Food and Ankle Society uh, agenda. 
that quick. So I think it's also recognition, not just not just about the 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 board members, but about all the members and all the people that are publishing on uh, Wayburn CT findings that, is, in my opinion, is really revolutioning the foot and ankle um, imaging findings. Um, so it's a recognition to all of us that are like using our time and efforts to uh, investigate this technology and trying to get better answers for multiple questions that are answered in foot and ankle surgery. So it's for sure a recognition to all of us. Speaking of unanswered questions, your area of research has really been on the flat foot deformity. Uh, Can you talk about some of the biggest revelations emerged from the studies that you have done about this deformity that really kind of had the causes and the influences to, to why people develop flat foot have kind of been very unknown up until this point, but you're slowly starting to chip away at that and come to some, uh, at least some really good indications for what might be causing this. So can you talk a little bit about how weight-bearing CT has enabled that, uh, that emergence of knowledge? Yeah, so talking about uh, flat foot deformity for me is really uh, exciting. It's for sure one of my passions in foot and ankle, probably the most important one. Uh, since my fellowship in uh, foot and ankle in Brazil back in 2010, um, I was already uh, paying attention and following the publications for flat foot deformity was something that challenged me. Uh, I think it's the it's the most beautiful uh, pathology in foot and ankle just because there's a combination of uh, bone bone deformity, soft tissue, uh, the generation, and it's so difficult to understand what's going on. Like the foot is such a beautiful biomechanical machine. There are so many joints, so many uh, uh, factors that are influencing the deformity. And uh, I always thought that x-rays couldn't really demonstrate to you uh, what 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 the deformity consisted of. Like it's too much stuff going on for two dimensional or just one dimensional. You have one picture uh, and if you use combined three views of the food or four views, whatever it is, uh, even in that way, I, I couldn't believe, I didn't believe it was enough. But at that point I didn't even think about weight bearing CT of course in 2010. But I started following up uh, and uh, I would go to meetings. I would pay attention to uh, flatfoot things. And uh, I got to know just reading articles, Dr. Scott Ellis, Dr. Jonathan DeLand, that ended up being my mentors like uh, uh, eight years after that. Uh, that I was also, uh, I would never consider that possibility at that point. But anyway, they are, they are um, major or uh, experts in the subject. Um, and uh, when I got to HSS, I decided that I, 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 I had to use my fellowship there to really learn with the best and, uh, and to continue my research that started here in Baltimore with Dr. Sean and Hopkins um, with the flat foot deformity. So I started, I wanted to start with the basic. So I wanted to start with, um, 
like proving that measurements in weight bearing CT would be similar to what we were used to measure in x-rays. So we started just demonstrating and looking for uh, reliability and possibility of doing the same measurements using the weight bearing CT images. Uh, that was a very simple paper, but at the same time, it was a very important in my mind because you have to prove the basics. You can't say that because the 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 foot collapse, um, you can't say that, for example, Talos first metatarsal angle is probably the most measured angle for flat foot deformity. Uh, you can't say that just because in x-rays when you put load, when you put weight, you have uh, a, a collapsed and uh, an increase on the flat, on the talus first metatarsal angle, you couldn't say that that would also happen to the weight bearing CT images. So we, we demonstrated that, and but that was just the initial part. Um, I wanted to look for, uh, and I still want, I don't have the answers yet, but I wanted to look for uh, components of the deformity and uh, possible measurements that would help us to decide when to do specific treatment options or when to address, when to indicate surgery, when to change the life of your patient, when uh, we don't have that for, for, for uh, most of the foot and ankle pathologies. And I think the weight bearing CT can help us to get there. We're not there yet. But I, I really like this idea of the magical numbers. Um, so I started looking into that, uh, looking into markers on weight bearing CT images that could help us to predict pronounced deformity or the foot in collapse, the foot with high high risk of uh, progressive deformity, progressive collapse. And um, so we're, we're working on that. So we, we, we have papers or manuscripts submitted um, for um, important journals that are being considered right now uh, where we found some of the measurements to more reliably demonstrate more pronounced collapse of the foot and ankle. And we're hoping that once we have a better understanding of those measurements and we can apply that measurements on a clinical scenario, uh, we're gonna be able to uh, help in the decision of, for example, when, when are we gonna do a joint sparing procedure? When are we gonna indicate fusions? Is there a measurement that will show us that after that specific threshold of that specific measurement, um, people would do bad with a joint sparing procedure because the deformity is too, uh, too severe and that patients should probably have a subtalar joint fusion or a depot fusion or a triple fusion. Uh, and if that measurement specifically is not that severe, then we should proceed with joint sparing procedures. Uh, that's one of the one of the main questions. The other thing, using the same uh, idea, is can we find a measurement that will tell us for a patient that is symptomatic, but not symptomatic enough for you to say you definitely need surgery? Like, can we find a risk factor that will tell that patient that he has, for example, ninety percent or ninety nine percent chances of having progressive collapse of that foot. So we should probably intervene surgically now to prophylactically or to avoid progressive deformity, arthritis, the generation of the joints, the generation of the soft tissue. Uh, can we find that number? And then we can say to that patient, look, even though you're not hurting that much, you have some symptoms, but 
your we want to tell you we want to explain to you that you have let's say 95% of chances of of having a progressive collapse of your foot in the next 2 to 3 years or next 5 years whatever it is so that's that's where we want to go that's where we're trying to go uh and i i really think that we we might get there in the next several years and will these measurements that you're coming up with will they require a a weight bearing ct scan to be able to make them yes definitely so there there's like using regular um conventional radiographic views some of the some of the components of the deformity you can't you can't even uh appreciate so the coronal part of the deformity that seems to be one of the most important aspects of the deformity i'm not even talking about three-dimensional uh, biomechanical measurements that are that's a different conversation but uh only like if to be sim- really simple and really straightforward if you have to answer what for for complex deformity such as flat foot deformity that we are talking here, but uh, if you have to give one single evolution or one single important factor or the most important factor of weight bearing CT uh, influencing the assessment of these deformities is the coronal plane. So before there was no coronal plane. The only view you had was the, uh, the long uh, axial view or the Saltzman view that it had a bunch of bones superimposed and it was even, it was difficult even for you to see the, the the alignment between the tibia and the calcaneus. So you couldn't you couldn't see the subtalar joint, you couldn't see the combination between forefoot, midfoot and and hindfoot. So to be to be really simple because that's that's pretty simple. It's it, it, the coronal view or the coronal plane. It's something that we didn't have with X-rays that we have with wave and CT. So, and I'm I'm not talking about more let's say more complex or more uh, technological aspects of the wave and CT. Uh, what what the wave and CT can offer to us, but um, the the third plane, that is the coronal plane in this case, is really really important. So without without the the weight bearing CT, uh, we can't. We, in my opinion, uh, we cannot move forward with uh, better treatment options, better uh, diagnostic options, uh, better um, let's say prognostic factors. Uh, considering imaging aspects of the deformity, we cannot move forward without that. And how prevalent would you say? flat foot deformity is? Has your research come up with any sort of population statistics? Uh, that, that's that's already uh, pretty, let's say, settled in the literature. It's it's probably uh, one of the most, like three most common pathologies in any uh, foot and ankle clinics, you know, any foot and ankle service. So uh, I would say that now I'm talking without. I'm not considering literature right here, right now. But uh, I think that probably ankle sprains, Alex Vogel's deformity, flat foot, and plantar fasciitis are probably the most common reasons for a uh, uh, a patient to come to see a foot and ankle surgeon. Uh, but flat foot is for sure for sure there. Uh, there's no way you're gonna have a full day of clinic and you're not gonna see a flat foot deformity. So if Weight-bearing CT is going to be required to properly measure flat foot. 
there's basically going to need to be a lot more weight-bearing CT systems deployed across the country so that every patient can have proper treatment. Yeah, I'm not, like, we cannot say that uh, patients have been treated uh, throughout the, the last 50 years without weight-bearing CT. It's not that they cannot be treated, but uh, I think, in my opinion, uh, orthopedic surgery and foot and ankle surgery, of course, goes into the same direction. But we are heading into accuracy. Uh, we and the patients also want. So, so now, when you tell the patient about a pathology or a deformity, they want it, they want details. Uh, most of the times, they come to see you already. They already read three thousand things in the internet, so they know a lot of stuff. But they want to see images. They want to see pictures. They want to explanations, details of uh, what is the pathology. What are the treatment options? What are the conservative treatment options? What are the surgical treatment options? What are the complications? Um, what are the chances they're going to have a complication? What are the chances the, the surgery will be successful? So they want to know everything. Um, so if we want to head into accuracy, if we want to head into giving better data, better results, uh, more predictable results to the patients, uh, I think that weight-bearing CT will be very important for us to go into that direction. It's not mandatory, but it's expected from the patient. If the technology is available, why would I uh, want surgical treatment without knowing the details, without knowing my chances, without knowing the risks, without knowing the numbers? So um, I think surgical, surgical specialties are heading into that direction. I think for... It to, uh, the internal medicine has a lot of that. They have a lot of uh, 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 flow charts. So if you have more than, uh, if your blood pressure high, your blood pressure is in between uh, systolic between 101 and 125, uh, whatever. I don't remember. <laughs> it's not my thing. But they they have flow charts for that. They're gonna give you different medications depending upon uh, depending upon. Uh, uh, the measurements uh, of, of, of your blood sugar, of your blood pressure, uh, and they're going to decide your treatment. So they have pretty good data for that. And I think we are heading into the right into the same direction. We're going to uh, give the patients the options. At the end of the day, it's their decision, but uh, we need to give them numbers, and they are going to decide what is best for them, uh, guided by us. So we are we are. Um, intellectuals or we are experts that our obligation is to provide patients accurate information and help them to decide what is best for them. So I think weight-bearing CT will be important for us to uh, uh, to help them make best better decisions. Do you envision that this could even lead to a very accurate flat foot score so you could tell a patient your progression is here on the scale and this is the rate which you're progressing. And so this should inform which direction you want to go in terms of treatment. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think we, we're, we're not there yet, but we have made a lot of progress and uh, there are, we're working not just my, myself and other groups. Uh, we are trying to standardize things we're trying to to get together we're trying to come up with a maybe a new classification system 
that includes weight bearing CT assessment and other uh, recent um, findings in the in the literature um, into getting a better classification system, into getting like a flow chart to help other surgeons and other uh, practitioners to decide what is best for their patients. So we will be uh, definitely in the next, uh, let's say, maximum five, 10 years, we will have uh, better uh, treatment gap guidelines for flat foot deformity with better data, with more accurate data. Um, I used to say that, uh, in my opinion, flat foot deformity is kind of a Pandora's box. People, uh, you, you have uh, multiple uh, grading gradings of the deformity, multiple uh, different components of the deformity that are packed together in the same uh, bucket, you know? So we, we, we need to separate that better and we need to come with uh, better options and better uh, um, guidelines for people to follow the guidelines so we can have more predictable results for our patients. So, so uh, we, we're definitely heading into that direction. And I think the future looks bright and it'll be interesting to sit down again in in another three years and see what more progress has been made. And then three years after that, and it's just it's just, just a really exciting time. So um, I'm very honored to be tangentially a part of it and, and assisting in the way that I can. But, you know, the people like you who are leading the effort, it's it must just be really exciting. Yeah, it's it's super exciting, and uh, we have we have a very good team, and we have uh, like I consider myself a young, uh, even though I'm not that young anymore, but I consider myself a young um, surgeon, and I, I recently got to the U.S. like four years ago, and I had the I was really blessed and uh, of having the opportunities that I had of training and have having like mentors that uh, until uh, maybe six years ago I was reading it's like it's like being being with your um, uh, with your idols you know uh, I was until until six years ago I was in Brazil reading Scott Ellis paper Jonathan Deland's paper Lucian's papers uh, and now I I I trained with them I had them as my men had them uh, as my mentors and at the same time, I'm also blessed of having the chance of getting to know the members of the Weight-Bearing CT group that are brilliant. Um, some of them are not as focused on flat foot deformity, but they were able to provide me inputs and ideas that I ended up applying in my research. And now they're also involved with my research there. They have been helping a lot. So it's 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 really exciting it's now it's really a international thing it's really a weight brand city international society because we have people from all over the world uh working together right now and for flat foot deformity the same we, we we have been working with different people and uh, and we have been doing great things and i think it's just the beginning we have much more to come again that's just so exciting and um if anyone is listening to this podcast and they're just absolutely inspired and they want to get in touch with you uh how can they connect with you what is the best way to reach you uh i'm i'm always available um you can uh 
you can uh, reach me through email probably is the easiest way um so it's c-e-s-a-r teaser slash uh natto n-e-t-t-o at u-iowa u-i-o-w-a dot e-d-u e-d-u um so people can reach me through um email uh and then uh just join the train it's pretty exciting uh we will we are doing a lot of stuff at, uh, at this point we are planning to do much more in the next couple of years so we are really uh excited to have more people on board to have people with new ideas uh with uh fresh mind fresh ideas uh i think the most the better to be honest if i'm 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 pretty inclusive with people uh collaborating i think that's the way that uh uh things can move forward and things can uh evolve mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well again thank you again um this was really informative and uh we hope to have you as a guest sometime soon and looking forward to all the multiple lectures that are coming up at all the various conferences this year that you are a part of um, and that your colleagues are a part of. And thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.